The Milkron, Chapter 6, Trouble in Paradise John woke up when he heard the engine noises become louder. As he stood up and wiped his face, he saw the boats on the beach starting to back out, head out towards the rest of the squadron. As he kept watching, he looked at those watch and noticed it was a little after 0300 in the morning. He had slept about five hours on the hard deck. He started waking everybody else up to make ready to head out for their next waypoint, wherever that might be. As everyone started cleaning up to get ready, John watched some more to see if any messages were coming in from the command boat. He asked the sentry on the fantail if he had seen anything. He replied negative. As all the boats arrived close by, John watched the trucks gather up the leftover packing materials and other items from the beach to try and obscure the tracks from possible prying eyes should anyone on the beach find later on. As the trucks moved out, a couple of the soldiers stayed behind to try and brush out the tire tracks and foot traffic in the sand as best they could as they walked behind the trucks. With that, the convoy disappeared into the dark. John continued to watch as everyone was waiting to hear from the officers on their next move. He hoped that they all made it back to their base with no issues. Once all six boats were close aboard, Lieutenant Johnson came out on the deck of the command boat and hollered for all the boat captains to move their boats safely together as possible so he could pass on the new plan. John told his crew to rig the fenders and stand by as he pulled in the, close to the lieutenant's boat. As he lay next to the LCM-8, the other boats also crowded in so they could hear. Once everybody was ready, Lieutenant Johnson hollered out that the chief's LCM had the water tank and they were rigging up a portable shower to allow everyone to try and clean up. Everyone started looking at each other to say, what? He smiled as he noticed the looks on her face and said, be thankful you're getting anything at all. With that, he told everyone to set up the queue by boat so everyone could get a turn under the makeshift shower. The water needed to be rationed, so it was going to be Navy-style birdbath showers with a bucket of soap to wash off with. Then they could change into clean uniforms afterwards. He was sorry, but this is the worst they, best they could do, make the best of this not-so-great situation. Everyone spent the next couple of hours cycling through the portable shower by pulling the boats together and tying them off one, by, one to another. Then the crews jumped aboard, took care of business. As John's crew waited for their turn, they started to feel a little better about things. John tried to reassure everyone that things were looking up. What could be better? Now they were getting showers. What, what more did they want besides an end to this mission and going back to the base of R.A.? When everyone was finished and everything was cleaned up, Chief Armstrong came out on the well deck of his boat and smiled. He told everyone within earshot that he was buying the first round of beers once he all got back to civilization. Everyone laughed as they knew Bahrain was a dry country and no alcohol allowed. It would be a long time before that promise was kept. Once everything was secured, the boats let loose and drifted out to get ready for the next leg of their journey. Major Steuben passed on the next compass heading and said the protocol was the same. Run up on this course until told otherwise, and the next stop would be passed along just before they got there. John set his course, told everyone to stand by to get underway. He headed his boat out and got into formation with the others, and off they went. A north-by-northwest heading again. It's a little after sunrise by now, so everyone milled about or settled in for the long day. Lookouts were relieved. Underway watches were set. At least they weren't scratching that dry, dirty, salty clothes anymore. Maybe some of the rashes would start to clear up. As they were departing the drop zone, one of John's lookouts spotted some smoke on the horizon near where the convoy had left on that trail through the low hills at the beach. As John scanned where the lookout was pointing, he saw the smoke building up a few clicks west of their position. He hoped it wasn't the convoy. 
As the day passed, nothing was going on except the steady drone of the engines, water splashing against the hull. John asked Steve to try and figure out how fast the fuel was being used by the hour. That way, he might be able to figure out how far they could get with this load. As no one knew their final destination yet, John didn't want to run dry again before getting there, wherever there is. He had a rough idea from the chart what region they were headed to, but didn't want to assume anything. By late afternoon, Steve came up to the wheelhouse to relieve John at the helm and give his fuel report. He said that at the rate they were traveling, they had enough fuel to go a couple of days without stopping. John figured that if they stuck to the current plan as before, they might, they might stop again sometime after midnight to rest. But given they were way behind schedule, that may not happen now. They would just have to wait and find out. As the boats continued to travel their northwesterly course, all John could see was sand and low hills off to port. They had decided to stay within sight of land for security and safety reasons. As he got closer to Kuwait, the chances of being seen by Iraqi forces became more and more of a concern. Especially after seeing that smoke on the horizon earlier that day, John told everyone to keep their heads up on the shoreline and outward. Not only did they have to worry about anyone spotting them from shore, now they had to worry about possible Iraqi Navy assets that might be controlling the waters around Kuwait and northern Saudi Arabia. The plan was to escape and evade any pursuers if possible. If not, defend themselves with utmost prejudice. If that were to happen, though, the mission would likely be compromised, and John didn't want to think about that too much. He didn't want to think about all his effort going to waste because they were spotted. As they continued on, everyone got noticeably quieter. Just the drone of the engines, the waves keeping everyone company. Soldiers kept going through their gear and new weapons to check everything over and over again, and the sailors stood lookout watches and maintained the boat gear to be busy, not to think about their situation. By John's reckoning on the chart, he figured they were close, fairly close to the southern Kuwait border by now, as he looked at the sunset. There were some city lights way off in the distance to the west, but he had no way of determining just how close, though. He turned on his running lights just as the sun went down over the hills to the west. As the little squadron all turned on their lights, the shout went up from the lead boat. John couldn't tell what it was, but as his boat was too far away. All they could see was a lot of gesturing going on that was being passed on to the command boat. All of a sudden, the lead boats veered off course towards shore and everyone started to follow. As John's boat was one of the last in formation, he just followed suit, but his internal arm went up and he yelled at it forward lookout to be more attentive and see if he could see what's going on. Seaman yelled back, aye, aye, and stood up on the narrow forward deck to get a better look. As he started pointing off to starboard towards a small boat on the horizon, apparently that was what all of a sudden course change was about. Small craft was hard to see with the darkness almost on them, and they were showing minimal navigation lights. The next thing John heard was for all the boats to throttle back, turn off their lights, go as quiet as possible, and remain dark to see if they had been spotted. As all the boats came to a near stop and turned off their lights, the lookouts did their best to keep an eye on the other boat. As he watched, it started to make a zigzag pattern out there where it was at, as if searching for something. John was sure everyone was holding their breath, so to speak, at this point. No one wanted a firefight this close to their objective. The SF group all got their weapons ready just in case in the, on the boats and tried to pile up weapons boxes alongside the bulkheads and the well decks to make firing perches in case of contact. Some of them lay down on the fantails to sight their weapons on a possible intruder. As everyone watched, the boat kept going back and forth across the water to starboard. This left the squadron in a bit of a pickle as they were now cut off from the water to a large degree. They couldn't head out to sea without being seen. And if they took out the boat on their way through, that would wake up the whole neighborhood. Then the other Navy foreign assets would become running and the gig would be up. 
Even the Quake government don't, didn't know about this mission, according to Lieutenant Johnson a couple of days ago. As y'all waited anxiously, the other boat kept up its search pattern but continued to move further south. The Americans waited until they went out of sight and the signal went out by flags to cruise ahead a dead slow to maintain sight of one another and keep the engine noise down to a bare minimum. Since John and one other boat was last in formation, it was on them to keep a close watch on their wake to make sure they weren't being followed. As John moved ahead slowly and tried not to lose sight of the other boats in the now nearly pitch dark light, all they could think of was the boat. He needed the utmost concentration to keep everyone safe, not lose the squadron and the other boat off to port. As they continued moving slowly forward slowly in the dark, the command boat took over the lead and directed everyone to move closer to shore with res lens covers on the flashlights. Learning semaphore and Morse code before was now becoming a valuable asset. The boats changed course back to their more northwesterly course shortly, but still at dead slow speed once they had moved another kilometer closer to shore. Now, not only did they have to be on the lookout for that strange boat, they had to try and scout for movement on the beaches they passed. They were still fairly far out, but with the right equipment could still be spotted. John set up extra lookouts with Master Sergeant for his mission. He was really starting to get nervous now. He had his two seamen stand up on the bow ramp to watch for anything in the water they might hit. At this speed, it would be a minor bump, but John didn't want to get slowed down by anything. Besides, he figured they would be going back up to cruising speed as soon as possible and the coast was clear. It didn't take long for the order to come across. All boats to increase speed back to cruising with extra lookouts posted, running with no lights. John thought, this is madness, but what are you going to do? He set the extra lookouts and told his forward watchers to keep a really tight watch on the water. He didn't need to hit anything just below the surface now. Just as they sped up, the other boat next to John spotted the unknown boat heading north in their direction. As they signaled forward, John figured they must have set up some electronic search gear on board, like radar or something, which meant they were not just some local fishing boat. Signal came again for everyone to idle back and see what happens. Maybe they could hide in plain sight again. Not so this time. The boat kept coming, and as they got closer, it was obvious that this was a fairly fast boat and likely just a local Coast Guard or police boat, hopefully. Everyone stood by as the command LCM-8 broke formation, stood out to wait for the unknown boat to get close enough to find out what's going on. As the little boat got closer, the Major stepped out of the wheelhouse. boat turned on a searchlight and lit up the mic gate, then all the other LCMs in the squadron. As the officer stepped out on the deck, started talking in Farsi, and the Major tried his best to respond. As this was getting started, Master Sergeant Thomas stepped up to John and said he wished the captain were here now. He had been fluent in Arabic and would have been the translator. He was a great loss now. All we could hope for was that the Major's limited Farsi would be enough. As they watched, the officer on the boat started to become more agitated. His small crew started to put their hands on their weapons as the exchange became more heated. And in response, the SS soldiers started to make their presence known by showing themselves a little more. It was obvious to anyone that the little boat was seriously outnumbered and outgunned, and they knew it. After a few minutes, the officer managed to calm down. Major waved his hands behind his back to have the SS squad stand down a little. The Kuwait officer gestured, spoke some more in a more authoritative voice, and stepped back at his pilot house. With that, he waved at his helmsman and they took off back to where their patrol area had been. The Major jumped off the deck and started to brief Lieutenant Johnson. Once that was done, the LCM moved back into the lead in the formation and they headed back out again. As John watched all of this, he thought that this little boat was likely a little Coast Guard boat and had spotted them on their little radar, which wasn't much better than a fish finder, and decided to investigate. 
He probably read the riot act in America just to boost his ego and courage for his crew more than anything else. John was willing to bet that he was scared nearly to death when he discovered this many American boats headed somewhere secretly. Trouble with that is that he will definitely report this and their element of secrecy was gone. Now what were they going to do? John decided he didn't need to know until they were ready to tell everyone. As he pondered that, all the boats went back to cruising speed and continued on, still with no running lights. They traveled through the night towards their objective. No more stops. John and Steve each took helm watches and snatched a little sleep in between. So did the rest of the crews. Towards dawn, a red light started flashing again from the lead boat. Slow down, the signal flashed. As the boats all slowed down to a slower speed, they started seeing more land show up as the sun came up over the ocean horizon. As soon as it got light enough, the semaphore flag started waving again to point everyone towards small bay coming up on their port side. This apparently was their next stopping point. As John kept watching, the lead LCM started to head towards the bay and signaled for everyone else to stand by until further notice. As the boat got closer to shore, the other lead LCM sported a fast boat coming at them from the northern point of the bay. This one was definitely not as small as the one from last night and looked a lot more dangerous with a gun mount on the forward deck. As John yelled for battle stations, as did all the other boats, John also watched as a large group of soldiers started moving out of the hills towards the beach area. As soon as the command boats saw that, they swung around and headed back to the squadron. This time everyone was yelling and everyone got a call on the radios to head back out at full speed, get as far away from the bay as possible, and prepare to defend the boats. With that, John took over the wheel, turned his boat around as quickly as possible, and headed straight out towards the open water. He hoped everyone would see him and follow. He didn't have time to look back to find out. Meanwhile, the SF group was setting up to defend the boats at any cost. As the squadron turned around and started following John and his running mate next door, the lead boat was being overtaken by the patrol boat that had jumped up from around the point. As he got close enough to try and cut out the LCM, the helmsman on the LCM-8 spun the boat around in place, put the bow towards the oncoming patrol boat. Chief's LCM-8 spotted the maneuver, turned around to assist, all the while radioing the LCM-6s to keep heading out to sea as fast as they could. Since their boats were a little faster, they would catch up as soon as they dealt with this patrol boat. As they maneuvered to charge the patrol boat, the patrol boat opened fire with its forward gun mount and hit the command LCM with a spray of bullets. As everyone was down in the well deck, the bullets bounced off the hull and made a couple of holes in the wheelhouse. No one was hurt yet. As soon as that stopped, an SF soldier popped up, fired off a tow missile towards the boat, hit it aft to the pilot house, and set off the fuel tanks. The boat went up with a big explosion and all that was left was the lower hull that quickly went under the waves, leaving an oil slick. Two Mike 8s turned around, headed out towards the rest of the squadron as fast as they could. As they arrived and formed up with the rest, command came out to head northeast at all speed until they cleared the bay. Once the danger was largely over, they waved the flies again to have everyone slow down, form up close, and pass on some info. Once again, the Major stepped up to address everyone, explain what had just happened. To John, it was pretty obvious. They had been compromised by that little Coast Guard boat from last night. As John listened, Major Steuben outlined his contingency plan. They had a secondary landing site set up in case the primary fell through, and he had just made a sat phone call to let command know what happened. All they could do now was head for the secondary landing point and wait to hear back from him. Major Steuben reported that no one had been injured on his boat during the little fracas, but there was no survivors on that Iraq patrol boat that had jumped him, which meant that they needed to head to the next waypoint as quickly as possible to try and get there before the enemy figured out where they were going. As the squadron got underway again, this time with the throttles wide open, John thought to himself, here we go again, yippee ki to quote a line from a Bruce Willis movie.